welcome back to Revelation On Demand Podcast, a podcast interested in what the Bible has to say about our lives today. Join us as we see what revelations we find today. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and I'm joined today as usual by Mr. Chris Hess. How you doing, buddy? Hey, how you doing, brother? Doing great, doing great. Sounds like we're finally getting this thing off the ground after hours of technical difficulties, so... Yes, uh, let's, I agree. Let's, let's, yeah, it's, it's good to actually be doing this now, so... um. That's why it's more important right about how you're doing than me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways, uh, to apologize to the listeners, I have dropped the ball on the interview episodes. Uh, it's, in fact, really hard to get people for interviews. So, I, I'm just going to do those as I get an opportunity to find someone to interview. Uh, we jokingly said in the last recording that we were going to just mock interview and me and Chris would change, disguise our voices and, and interview each other, but uh, I thought that was a bad idea. So we're not going to do that. Uh, everything's going good over here. So shall we just recap since we got such a long section? We'll just nothing really new in the world. What's still doing what it's doing. Yeah, absolutely. So we gave it an extensive breakdown as to why, Daniel was getting taken to Babylon and because in the very first chapter that we were covering um, well the very first chapter that we covered previous to Dan being taken to Babylon and what exactly went down there as he got there and so on and so forth yeah. which we'll get into detail in a, here in a sec was like the context and the pretext to it so yeah. yes so as we were breaking down how Daniel is why the reason that truly that Daniel's being taken and more specifics on that. Uh, we also got into the fact that um, as he got there, there were certain practices that him and the other Jews wanted to still follow in opposition to, not opposition, but in contrast to the Babylonians. Like, for instance, like him and his friends refused to eat the royal food and uh, so for a way of putting it, they consider that to be defiling themselves. So anything that they're being provided with provisions wasn't as quality, which is one thing we went over. And yeah. it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the way that they saw um, godly food or, you know, their intake being taken yeah. care of. They didn't see themselves being taken care of by this, so to speak, royal quality food that was really uh, more or less, you know, sparse meals. Well, the the biggest problem with the food was that it was probably sacrificed to uh, pagan gods. So, the god of of Babylon at the time would be known as Bel, and so most likely the royal food would have been stuff that was you know sacrificially offered to this this fake god. So Daniel and his friends would see that as not something they would be able to partake in, you know. So, correct, and as we were delving into the detail of that and reading further on, we ended up finding out that um, he was given a challenge to eat the uh, eat only vegetables and different foods in this lavishing thing that they're being provided. And they ended up looking much, much better than the Babylonians did. Uh, they looked right. healthier. They were healthier mm. in, in their training to be assimilated into their society. They were all being trained the, uh, the new Babylonians, so to speak, anyone who had been integrated into their society was in like these training camps to be uh, groomed, so to speak, for their 
Babylonian needs. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were getting groomed to join the the Babylonian council, so they would have been they would have been the the Jewish equivalent of high courtsmen in the new Babylonian setting, so that the Jews would have quote unquote representation in their new home where they've been taken to. So it's it's an assimilation tactic that dates back quite a ways you take some i mean rome did this a lot you take some of the people who from, were from the culture you just assimilated or took over and you raise them up with your standards and your practices and then you have this kind of amalgam of what was originally their culture and your culture now as a leader for the old people so that they could they could you know feel like they're being taken care of they're being heard they're being you know integrated in a way right and in this event um there was several uh, most of the jewish population that had been uh brought in was following the example of these prophets that were speaking against babylonian ways and when they had taken over um it was it was jerusalem right yeah Yes, when they had taken over Jerusalem and brought over more people, they wanted these people to set a greater example than, uh, so to speak, groomed individuals of the past that were speaking out against Babylonia, and they wanted them to be, uh, you know, quite a bit more respectful and, you know, get the idea drilled into their heads that this isn't, you know, this isn't going away. Like we realize, y'all, you want to leave, and that was the main message these prophets were speaking out against is that someday we'll leave. You know, this is not permanent. Uh, but yeah, why don't we go ahead and get into today's chapter, more importantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a pretty heavy chapter. Um, we're going to try and graze, try and get as many gems out of it as possible. Because uh, like I've said before, we don't cover everything in this podcast. But hopefully you'll see some things that'll that'll inspire you to actually go and study further. So we're going to try and point out the interesting things in this chapter as we go along. And hopefully if there's anything that we don't cover well enough, that'll inspire you to go search on your own because that's what we really want to do. So we're about to see another test for Daniel and his friends here in this chapter. Uh, these tend to be some of the more well-known stories of the Bible. So many of you probably know where this is going. Uh, is there anything you want to add to that before you start the reading? Uh, well, uh, I not to. Uh, I, I think we should leave this part up to surprise. And uh, <laughs> this this next session, for uh, in case you didn't know, we're on the book of Daniel, chapter two, is uh, is going to you know start to shift the dimensions of this story a little bit more to the yeah. to the, the <laughs> this actual leader so to speak, that yeah. is in charge of Babylonia. So why don't we go ahead and dive into that? Sounds good. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to his astrologers, 
This is what I have firmly well, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces in your home in your houses, turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So we're going to stop right there before we get into the the big prophetic dream that we're really going to dig into here. But right there we see, uh, we talked a little bit about astrologers, magicians, and, and whatnot. Uh, in a previous episode and Chris was like, Oh, there's magicians in the Bible. Yeah. So back in this time, it was very common for courts to have these quote unquote wise men who used all sorts of interesting things such as star signs and uh, reading bones and stuff like that, you know, casting ruins, all these kind of mystic practices where they would try and discern wisdom from the world in what would be improper ways to Christians. So we see, we see the King challenging this group of, you know, magicians and wise men that he has around him. Like, Hey, I had this dream. It troubled the heck out of me. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, you have to tell me what it is and then tell me what it means. So he's basically asking these guys to read their mind. And of course, all these wise men are, are, you know, pretty much charlatans in this regard, you know, they, they claim they have all this power and they're pretty much being called out by the King on this. He's like, well, if you're so powerful, then you should know what my dream is. And the, I mean, you see it several times here. The, the magicians are like, uh, just tell us the dream and we'll give you an interpretation. And, you know, because they can't read his, his mind and remember and get the dream. So, we uh, some translations will say Chaldeans in there instead of astrologers. So the Chaldeans were a society that Babylon took over at one point, and they were some of the leaders in what we know as astrology, which is that star sign and studying the movement of the planets and the stars. So the whenever you see Chaldeans, it's often referring to astrologers because they're known for that. So. Which is all founded just on just a major, that's a life that you're living a lie. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> no matter who you are, if you're just taking a look at some of the stars and being like, especially at this time and age, but yeah. take it as you will. But if you're looking at stars or just formulating a bunch of bone patterns, like that's yeah. all you're, 
doing. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong, you might be able to identify certain objects and stuff like that. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that they're in their mm. intellect with that. But to be founded on a fallacy like that is is you know, it's crazy for me to think about in the modern era. Like, wow, these people are the leaders of society, and this is simply all they did. Oh, a shooting star. Yes. So I could tell you based off of that. Uh, 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 oh, right. So yeah. your dream. Yeah. 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 But they, they couldn't come up with the story for the dream because they ultimately saw that, you know, the second Nebuchadnezzar said, that's not my dream. You know, they were going to be put to death. They didn't think they were honestly going to be put to death for a simple request. But, hey. Yeah. Yeah, no, and and that's the thing. They they know his reputation. He's a brutal leader. He's like a military master. We we've seen this in the last episode, and they know that he means business. He says, "You're going to do this for me the way I tell you to do it, or you're going to die." So they're not even like willing to chance guessing what his dream was because i mean it could be anything i mean you could come up with some pretty troubling ideas of what would trouble a king but you'd be far off as we see this dream is very weird in the way it was presented to nebuchadnezzar so it's it's not something that anyone could have guessed so um Typically, these magicians would get the dream from the pharaoh or king or whoever, and then they'd give some sort of interpretation, kind of kind of a lot like uh, dream studying today. Now, I think there could be a lot of good things in studying dreams, and you can definitely help you know delve into your inner psyche with some of that stuff. But I do believe Christians need to be careful of some of these other spiritual practices and make sure that we're not doing something we're not supposed to. So, you know, interpreting what dreams are, uh, that can help you understand like what you're going through mentally. But as far as, you know, using that sort of stuff to like predict the future or trying to connect to some other plane or something like that could be very dangerous. So we need to make sure that whenever we, we, and I mean, this goes for stuff like yoga, even, uh, there's a physical practice of yoga, which is, really good for your body it stretches your body out it strengthens muscles you don't use very often like just the physical practice of yoga is all right it's when you start doing the spiritual practice of yoga too that we start having issues you can't do that as christian because then you're trying to tap into the spiritual realm in a way god has not meant for man to tap into the spiritual realm so yeah. very much in this way that this these magicians are all trying to tap into the spiritual realm in ways God has not meant for man. No, so, I agree well, with 95% of what you said. There is, okay. uh, there is uh, a, a massive idea that, um, that God is able to communicate with you through your dreams. And I don't doubt mm -hmm. that's a possibility. It's happened yeah. in the Bible as well. So um, I think in more in the context of what you're saying is like, you know, taking someone else's interpretation, taking a real world uh, man manifestation of a complex and being like, oh, because I was able to, you know, visualize the image of Vishnu. Maybe this is the reason why I should switch over to Hinduism. I don't know. That's just an example. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that sort of stuff can be very troubling. So we see that the entire like class so even so at this point daniel's been like turned into this this wise man class but for whatever reason he's not 
present when the king gives this order. So you see that this order is like, well, if you guys can't do it, I'm going to start over with my wise men class. You know, he's just going to wipe them all out and start with a new slate. So whatever reason, Daniel wasn't here. Uh, so he didn't hear about this right away. But as one of the king's people come to, you know, deliver this, we'll see that Daniel asks for some grace and an opportunity to actually do what the king requested. Uh, a lot of the priesthood does, says no man on earth can do this. And of course, as we see how Daniel handles this, no man on earth can do this. Uh, there's a lot of parallels here between Daniel and Joseph. So if you know the story of Joseph, where he was the, he was a guy with the many colored coat. He ended up, you know, being enslaved from his brothers, being sold into slavery, going to Egypt, and then saving his family through becoming like number two to the Pharaoh. So there's a lot of uh, parallels between Daniel and Joseph here, where they were enslaved against their will. They were, they catch the ear of the leader somehow. And as we see, Daniel's already, you know, started to show Nebuchadnezzar that he's different than most of his wise men. So that'll play in here in a little bit. And then they become very important in the pagan governance. Uh, the summation of this chapter, Daniel and his friends will end up being some of the most important people. Uh, now we see in the languages, the original languages, that from verse four of this chapter until the middle of chapter seven, all the original texts were written in Aramaic. So this was a good chance. You see the Chaldeans or astrologers or wise men start talking. And that's when the writer of Daniel switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. And the reason is, is because he's trying to change the setting, I think. And then this story would be more palatable to the people in Babylon. So Aramaic would have been probably one of the most common languages in Babylon. In fact, it was, it was one of the most, like, it was like a trade language. Like today, English is a trade language where it's almost just about everyone in the world speaks English. Back at the time Daniel was being enslaved and taken to Babylon, Aramaic was that language that everyone almost spoke. So we see, we see this is interesting and then the story is showing the difference between God's people and the magicians. So we'll get into that with the next section. Anything you want to add? Seems very enticing. I can't wait to read it. Mm -hmm. All right. I believe I know how to pronounce this name. Verse yeah. 14. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained to the matter uh, explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time, so that he may interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy for the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. 
Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So after hearing about what's going on, Daniel immediately goes to his buddies, uh, and we see them use their their old Hebrew names here. As we learned last episode, they changed their names to make them more Babylonian. But we see them referred to by their Hebrew names. And Daniel immediately goes to his buddies and says, hey, like, we're going to die if the king is allowed to, to get away with this. So why don't we go in prayer and fasting and ask God to give us the dream and the interpretation so that maybe we could avoid, you know, losing our lives here you know so he's pretty much saying you know at god's will if god's will let him save us so daniel doesn't think he can do this at all he's totally like this is only going to happen if god allows it to happen which would god sees this as a good opportunity to make him see look more successful than the pagan gods that the magicians worshipped and used quote unquote so God makes known the future to us. So he doesn't give us all the details much like this dream. We'll see that there's many things that could be tied back into revelation or during times in history where there's many places it applies. So Daniel didn't understand fully what the dream meant. It would only be later interpreted through history that we see how some of these things take place Whereas Daniel got the gist of the the dream and what it meant to Nebuchadnezzar and what it was supposed to mean to Nebuchadnezzar. Right. So this, this in Daniel through all this is, is very much, you know, humble. He's saying, you know, God, if you will it, let this be done, you know, and, and right there, when God gives him the interpretation, he's like, I praise you, God of my ancestors, you've given me the wisdom and power. And like, you've delivered me from, from Nebuchadnezzar and his, his his vile, you know, want to destroy all the wise men in Babylon. So right. we and see we have Nebu- a god of action too. So if you don't mind me yeah. interjecting, Go ahead. we also Go ahead. have a god of action. So in the event that a lot of people will go ahead and say, "Well, I don't find myself in faith because I don't see my prayers answered," and mm-hmm. they're looking for an immediate fix to a solution, or you know, I mean, to a looking to an immediate fix to a problem, right? Instead of taking action themselves. So as we are created in his image, we need to be acting on that sort of thing as well. So in this event, he acted as rationally as he could uh, to enable his friends into the same plan and be like, look, I'm trusting God right now. This is what we needed to, to, to survive literally in this situation. And God was able to deliver for him. I see a lot of, I see in a lot of people's lives that to go off the tracks when they seek faith and they seek God, they'll give you that answer. Like I was saying a minute ago, and that's it. You know, they, they don't want to seek that plan of action 
they need desperate help. And even in the situations that you need desperate help, you need to find that self, your inner strength that God has given you and to be able to trust in him and to trust in yourself in the situation and be what is the most logical point of action I need to take. And Mm -hmm. even following with your faith, following through with your ideals can be a logical point of action. It might not be to someone that's kept in common sense, but ultimately, you know better at the end of the day. We know better of what's going to happen. Like when we were going over Revelations, we know what the end game is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's really amazing is that Daniel didn't know what that end game is. So they didn't have a book of revelation at this time. We got a book of revelation, so we know what's going to happen, but people like Daniel at this time don't have that. And I'm going to point that out several times in the story of Daniel, where he is a man of faith with God and he doesn't even know what the end is. Like we get the, the 2020 hindsight of knowing Jesus will come back. We will be resurrected. We will, we will be in heaven with God. Like he doesn't know all this. Most of what the Hebrews believed is that they will be in some sort of afterlife, which is often referred to as the grave. And and then they talk several places where prophecies say that the Messiah will come and release them from the grave. So, a lot of this is like a stronger faith than even we have today because we have the comfort of revelation where we know what's going to happen. So we don't have to be worried that we didn't do good enough. We just have to be in Christ, you know? So we see God gives Daniel a vision in the night instead of a dream. So dreams often are prophetic dreams are often when someone is unconscious and often Sometimes, often, it is non-believers that have dreams that are given by God. So here we see Nebuchadnezzar. He's a king. He serves a different god. And God gives him a dream that troubles him. So Daniel, being a prophet and being a man of God, is given a vision. So he's awake for this. He's in the middle of the night meditating, praying with his, his friends. And God gives him a vision of the dream he gave to Nebuchadnezzar. And then he gives the interpretation of that dream as well to Daniel. And that's when Daniel, you know, praises God and says, you have made known the dream of the King. So anything else you want to add there, buddy? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head as usual. If you'd be so kind to continue us on in verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the King had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in the dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive 
but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet and of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now, we'll, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior theorists. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet, it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than the iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision that, oh, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. So right there, Daniel starts off, you know, being very humble. He's saying like, no one can do this other than the God in heaven. So he's he's totally you know, representing God as well as possible here. He's not taking any of this credit. And we'll see in Nebuchadnezzar's response that he doesn't quite understand that. Uh, Daniel understands it, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't quite understand that. He praises Daniel for what he did, even though Daniel would say, no, it was God that gave this all to me. So we see this, this statue. And if you ever get a chance to go online and look at videos and look this up, there's a lot of cool animations and just visual representations of this the statue in this entire story so we start with the head of gold which is nebuchadnezzar in the, in the babylonian empire and gold is probably like one of the most precious metals known to man at this time so we're thinking like 
this this empire is is pure and and very rich and powerful and is the head of the statue so it's obviously what ever, these other empires are going to try and you know do again and again as we see through history so right now and i think the gold was often uh accredited to nebuchadnezzar because we see him as unlike some pharaohs and kings where they're like very you know obstinate towards god and and just don't believe in the one true god we see nebuchadnezzar kind of waffle back and forth a lot so he sees that god is this powerful thing and he he worships god as a god amongst gods so he's a little bit wrong but he also worships him as you know more powerful than other gods so he's like right there he's like he, he kind of understands the nature of god but he waffles back and forth he, he's he's got these other gods that he serves and he's often you know turning back to them instead of just focusing and, and you know converting in a way so, right, which could very well be also a cultural adaptation of where Nebuchadnezzar is from, uh, because, yeah. uh, like you're saying, you know, he interprets it ever so slightly correct, but you know, he's not on the yeah. mark because of the fact that you know he was raised in a polytheistic, um, multiple god religion, and yeah. anytime, yeah. like, if we were to live in that time and age, and let's say we were unfamiliar, and you put yourself in the shoes of Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, and you heard the term God. Uh, we usually have to associate even with like younger people. When you hear God, they immediately go to the Christian God, but that's yeah. with a capital G. If you look at the lowercase yeah. G, you're like, uh, what's the difference? Well, that would be a polytheistic God. So right. I think on a smaller context, less intellect, this is what it would most commonly be associated with. It'd be like, if you heard the term fire, you're not going to think of, uh, a past Native American culture that had a god for fire, or any other culture that had a god for fire, you're going to think, "Oh, okay, so the Lord above in heaven, right?" Yeah, yeah, and see, that's the one big thing that we we sometimes have trouble with in these days. We're so scientifically minded, and we're so, uh, you know, matter of fact. You, this is often where the God of the gaps sort of thing comes up. But these people at this time the best way for them to explain the fortunes of nature and everything that was going on in the world around them was to ascribe it to these spiritual beings known as gods, lowercase g. So when Nebuchadnezzar first hears of, you know, Daniel's one true God, he's probably putting him into that same category as, Oh, this is a God I haven't heard of before. And that was often what happened. We'll see with Greek and Roman empires that they also, you know, have these pantheons and would, would bring in gods from other cultures as they took over other places. You know, today we don't understand that there is pagans in the world, but they're not in power like they were at the time that this was all written. So when they hear of God, they already have kind of a context where it's spiritual beings, but they need to be, you know, convinced that our God is the one true God over any other gods. Like they, Christians never say that other gods don't exist. They always say they're not worth worshiping because they're not all-powerful gods. They were creations, just as we are creations. They're not deities to be worshipped. So, correct. And if Christians, you're talking pantheons, yeah, 
Yeah. Like if you even go back to like ancient Greece, they're constantly importing new deities into their system, yeah. into their lore, right? Well, mm-hmm. it was tradition in Babylon to start importing deities that will just just whatever they can come up with, but mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in realistic standpoint. But you know, for those that believed, they didn't know that they were just adding gods, you know, from other cultures, from reformations. We talk about we were just talking about how um, the people of Judah. We're um, bringing in a new flavor of culture that Babylon wanted for themselves. Well, if they'd done that in previous years, and we sure darn well know they did, is they've taken Uh other gods and done that before. So Nebuchadnezzar, um, nothing against the guy. (laughs) Um, uh, As full-minded as he was to follow Mm -hmm. through with fully fully, submerging himself into the belief of Babylon as well, um, he's going to see it that way. Yeah, yeah, and as as we've seen, uh, Ju- uh, Jerusalem was allowed to be overtaken by Babylon because they started bringing in these other gods into their everyday worship. Like it wasn't just all about God anymore. That's why God said, "Okay, if you're not going to worship me and only me, then we're going to let you be handed over to these pagans who truly worship." like other gods and you'll see how much you like it. So this is very much a time for any Jews to show their true loyalty to God. So as we move down the the statue, we come to the chest of silver. Now, some people say this is the Greek empire, but I think it more, it more better suits the media Persian empire, which we will see in this story still. Uh, It's, it's later on when, uh, Babylon is actually taken over after the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and this, this media Persian empire was two empires that worked very closely together and they served under one quote unquote God King, but it, it was an empire with two very strong different natures to it. It was two separate empires that decided to start working together and became one. And then we'll see them as the empire that was sent to, to punish Babylon for their, cruel misbehavior and and just general disregard of the one true God. And then as we move down, we get the Greek empire. Some people say this is the Roman empire, but I'm going to interpret it as Greek empire. And it's a very strong pagan empire. And since it's the belly in the groin region, uh, it's often when you think of the Greek empire, they were very, uh, focused on carnal pleasure and emotions their gods were often about making people feel good they had gods about you know wine and and sex and fertility and all these different things that were all about carnal pleasures in 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 focusing on desires of the flesh so i believe that's why the greek empire fits better for the belly of bronze than the roman empire and then we move down to the legs of iron, which is most likely the Roman Empire. And I, I like this representation the best because they were known for putting world or roads throughout the the world. You know, they, they built the roads, the first major highways and roads that connected the entire ancient world. So I, I feel like them being the legs and they were this strong authoritarian government. So whenever you see stuff like iron, it's often, you know, a fist ruled with a fist of iron. You know, we have those sort of authoritarian connections to iron things. So when we see this, it's very much the Roman 
the Romans ruled with an iron fist sort of thing. So they are the legs of iron. Daniel's creating for us a timeline in the statue too. So, yeah, and and right. these and these already happen. Like we've seen these in history. Like we we see these fulfilled throughout history. You have the the Babylonians that were taken over by the Persians, and then they were taken over by the Greeks, and then the Romans, you know, took over most of the world. Right. Hence, iron. Because yeah. he, he literally said, in the time of those kings, the God of Heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. Yeah. Now, onto the feet. You have an option here, uh, depending on which which form of her- hermeneutics you're going to take. You can either decide that the feet of iron and clay was the Roman Empire at its end, like it's end times back when uh, Christianity first took root. So you can decide that, or you can read it as it is a global government yet to come. We see a lot of authoritarian democratic nations today. So this could be a future conglomerate like of authoritarian and democratic nations. So one, one interpretation I heard is that a government of clay is a democratic government, whereas a government of iron is a authoritarian government. So we see that this could be talking about a future global government that tries to bind these two different forms of government closely together under one global entity that kind of, you know, allows certain areas to govern themselves based on that iron or clay sort of thing. And the ten toes could likely match the ten horns and crowns that we spoke of in Revelation when we went over that, where there was ten empires and or ten rulers of that that time that made up for the horns on the beast or the crowns that the beast was wearing. So very much you can take this. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Right. So you can take this as either this was the end of the Roman government and it's already been fulfilled. Or you can take it as the like this is this is where the discrepancy the discrepancy is. You can either think it's still to come or it's already happened. And as far as the last one, there is some people the stone. There is some people who think that's happened. I'm not so sure because just because of the fact that when the stone strikes, the entire statue crumbles and turns to dust. So. Uh, yeah. In my mind, that would be the absolute dissolvement of all governments, of all you know kingdoms. So when the kingdom of God, that stone, the cornerstone the builders rejected, you know, when that comes down and crushes that authority, I think that's more referring to the second coming of Christ. I don't think that's necessarily the first coming. When the new kingdom, the, the new perfect order will be placed. So, I mean, there is some people who try to push that as it's already happened and that's what happened when Jesus came and died on the cross and all that. And it does, it does fit, uh, in some ways, but I feel like it's not quite a full fulfillment of that. So I think that is a prophecy, a part of this prophecy that hasn't quite come to pass yet. There's a continuation throughout the Bible that actually talks about how the stone, not this particular stone, but a stone is a symbolic reference to how um, the Lord is everlasting. It's been there from point A to point B, you know, point A being the beginning of time. Like 
that's ever enduring. So that yeah. I see like a connection to as well. Yeah. So that's, that's the one that I like to think about as still to come. So when, when God comes back and we've seen that in revelation, we've seen all the pictures of the end of the world and the destruction of governments and the rebuilding. So I think that's definitely talking about the end times where God is the stone. I mean, it's referred to several times, the stone, the, the cornerstone, the builders rejected the not by hands, all these, these stone references and, and mountains often are attributed to the kingdom or God and his kingdom sort of thing. And then we see at the end of this, that the, the stone turns into a mountain and takes over the whole earth. So I think that is very much tying back into the revelation where it's talking about the new recreation of earth. Correct. Would you like to finish us off this last little section at 46? Yes. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. And just for the record, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are also our friends from earlier. Yes, yes, that's their Babylonian names. So we don't see, I mean, it said really quickly in, in, a, in a parenthesis that Daniel is called Belteshazzar, but uh, we see his friends either referred to as Hananiah, Zechariah, and uh, I forgot, M- Mishael. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Yes. yes, or they're referred by their Babylonian names. So just one of those things to keep in mind when you can tell who's telling the story by what name they're called by. So now right there, that first section, the king is bowing to a slave. So this is like, unheard of like yeah he's a royal slave like he's one of the higher ups but he's still a slave like kings didn't bow to slaves this whenever you bow to someone it's it's a sign of showing your your you know submission or your praise and reference to someone so a king would never bow to a slave so this would have shocked the entire court this would have been something absolutely shocking but of course daniel did something shocking and told the king his his dream like he didn't think it was possible so this totally floored Daniel or uh, Nebuchadnezzar. But we do see the one thing that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't necessarily praise, you know, Yahweh. He praises Daniel for his God, Yahweh. So we're once again at this place where Nebuchadnezzar's not quite there. He doesn't quite understand the relationship between Daniel and God. He thinks that Daniel is just another one of these wise men who serves a more powerful God than the other wise men in his court. So, yes, for, you know what he said is beautiful. Surely your God is the God yeah. of gods and the Lord of kings and reveal our mysteries. Mm-hmm. Were you able to reveal this mystery? I mean, like, yeah. surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. That's awesome. Yeah. He just, like, like, he almost gets it. He almost gets it. You know, but it, just there he says, you know, I, I praise you, not your God. So, 
He's, right. he's like right there. Uh, and then for his faithfulness to God, Daniel's now the administrator of Babylon. And then he raises up his friends. So, you know, he's sharing the prosperity of, of his faithfulness to God. So, and we'll see that him raising up his friends will, will play into the next story when we get into chapter three. Uh, so is there anything else you wanted to add, buddy? Uh, as far as all this goes, I would just like yeah. to say, first and foremost, this is a rare opportunity that God has blessed Daniel and spared him his life and mm-hmm. given him the ultimatum of fulfilling certain things that he's going to have to do in his life to change things around him. I yeah. see the same thing in blessings in people's lives. I feel like that's meant to influence not only yourself, that's meant to influence as many people as you can and to give, give, give. Uh, that doesn't mean to yeah. drown yourself in giving. I mean, like, you know, share the love. <laughs> that's all I got to yeah. say. <laughs> right. Right. I like that. And I, it, I think the takeaway for today is that even if we're in dire straits, even if it seems like things are going terribly, which is easy to do these days, but even if they, they seem terrible, we need to remain faithful to God. And then even in those terrible situations, when God, you know, rewards us and blesses us, we need to remember those around us that shared in our struggles that shared with us, that prayed with us, that, you know, are walking with us in our faith. We need to remember those when we do get blooded things. So like you said, give, 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 you know, especially, you know, if you're struggling and someone comes to you with scripture or says, you know, God, I'm praying for you and we're thinking about you. Remember those people when you get those blessings. So. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We bring it on home. We're all good. Oh, you want me to do the end cap? Oh, more happy. Oh, you can Thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you are and wherever you catch podcasts from. Please like, oh, please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture, and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact us at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time.